If you will, please stand with me. If you're able to stand, I'm going to read our passage. I'm not going to read all of it. Um, I'm going to read some of chapter 10 and then all of chapter 11. And I want you to be listening as we go through God's word. I want you to be listening for who the main characters are and what each one of them does in in this passage that will help this become more simple. It's Revelation chapter 10, and I'm going to begin in verse 5. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it and earth and what is in it and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay. But that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. And then pick up in chapter 11. Then John says, I was given a measuring rod like a staff and I was told, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. But do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out for it is given over to the nations and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses and they will prophesy for twelve hundred and sixty days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them. This is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street in the great city that symbolically is called Sodom in Egypt, where their Lord was crucified for three and a half days. Some people or some from the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because these two prophets had been a torment. To those who dwell on the earth. But after the three and a half days. A breath of life from God entered them and they stood up on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies watched them. And at at the hour, there was a great earthquake. And a tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe has passed. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
I wonder if some of you, if your head is spinning right now. I mean, this is my, this is my task all week long is to try to figure out this passage. There's so much here. And I'm not going to cover everything. So I'm happy to talk about this after the service. If you have lingering questions, I'm sure you will. What I do want to say to you today from Revelation 10 and 11 is is that we are to witness like there's no tomorrow. That's the title of the sermon. Witness like there's no tomorrow. Tomorrow. That's what these two passages, these two chapters are together calling us to do. I want you to remember where we are. We're we're right in the middle of the second cycle of seven judgments in, in the book of Revelation. We're in the trumpets. And we were told last time we were in Revelation that the last three trumpets would be so terrible, even in comparison to the first four, that they would be called woes. And if you look back in chapter 9 and verse 12, you'll see after the fifth trumpet, we were told that the first woe had passed and that two more were coming. Then the sixth woe comes, the sixth trumpet. And then we ended our passage today in in chapter 11, verse 14, the second woe has passed. In other words, what we have in our passage is an explanation from God Of what we should be doing when the trumpets are being sounded. There's this break between the sixth trumpet and the seventh trumpet to to, to kind of take a break and say, okay, God's enemies are being judged within the trumpets. What should we be doing? That's what this is. We're almost home, and that will be reflected. When we get to the seventh trumpet, you can glance there in chapter 11, verses 15 and following. It's a picture of home when the final judgment comes upon God's enemies and God's people are saved. We're almost home, but we're not home yet. What should we do until then? We should witness like there's no tomorrow. Tomorrow. Is, is the word of a procrastinator. It, it's, it's the main day on the calendar of everyone who would put off doing what they should do right now. I'll start that diet. Tomorrow's. <laughs> uh. I'll say I'm sorry tomorrow. Tomorrow is the devil's word. And God is talking to us today, not just about physical life. But he's telling us we should witness like there's no tomorrow. Or to to summarize the sermon in one sentence. He's telling us now is the time for the church to witness. Now's the time for the church to witness. Now. When the trumpets 
and judgments are currently happening upon God's enemies. God's saying, I'm not rapturing you out of this. While the, the trumpets are sounding, I'm not taking you out of it. I'm leaving you here for a reason. Redeemer Church, that reason is to witness. Is to tell others about the Lord. I'm going to say more about this in a, in a bit, but the two witnesses of chapter 11 is a symbol of the church. I'll give you one little reason for this. and It is to call us back in our memories to when Jesus sent the church out as witnesses two by two. This little church here, this little church there, all going out to tell the world about him. Redeemer Church, now's the time. Now's the time. That's why chapter 10, verse 6 says there's no more delay. No more delay. The angel swears by heaven. There's no more delay. The seventh trumpet, which is final judgment, is about to sound. There is a message in a tone of urgency here. That we are to be a people who witness. Now, if you're like me. This call to witness, to tell others about Jesus, is something that is easy for me to commit to when I'm in a pew. And it's a lot harder to do out there. And so our passage gives us five truths about witnessing that I think is going to help us to witness like there's no tomorrow. Point number one, we're told in chapter 10, verses 8 through 11, that witnessing is sweet. Witnessing is sweet. Look there in chapter 10, starting in verse 8. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, go take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel it was described earlier in chapter 10, this mighty angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel, John says, and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, take and eat it. And notice what happens when he eats the scroll. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth, before it gets to your stomach, it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet. As honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. God, in, in our passage, in chapter 10, first he's calling John specifically, the Apostle John, to witness. Or the way verse 11 puts it, to prophesy to the whole world by taking this scroll. And what, what, what he's going to do is he's going to write the rest of Revelation. He said, you're going to have to do this again. You're not done writing the book. You're going to keep on writing this book. And notice how John is supposed to get ready to do that. He's specifically supposed to eat this little scroll. 
Now, throughout the book of Revelation, what we're going to do to understand these, these images is we're not going to guess. We're going to look first to the book of Revelation and then the rest of our Bible. And we've already got a scroll in Revelation. In Revelation chapter 5, there was a big scroll in the hands of a mighty or a mighty angel's voice went out. It was in the hands of God himself. And that scroll, if you'll remember, was included in it God's words, especially to judge his enemies. But implied in the judgments of God's enemies are promises from God to save his people. And so listen. If you are interested in helping our church to do our job, you and I need to consume God's word. I mean, not just be hand fed. God's truth by other people on Sunday. But like John, we need to take it in. I want to encourage you toward a daily intake, just like you regularly eat daily. And no one has to tell you to eat. Because you are convinced. And I'm convinced I need to eat If I'm going to do what I'm alive to do. Christian, do you hear yet from this passage what you are alive to do? It's to witness. So I think. Just from this passage and the example of John and what's going to end up being said to the whole church. It'd be a good habit for all of us. No Bible, no breakfast. Take and eat it. It will be sweet to you. And what it will cause you to do. Because you have taken it in, you'll, you'll have something to say. If you want to witness like there's no tomorrow. Well, this Thursday might be helpful to you. I'm anticipating it being very helpful to me. My gluttony this Thursday afternoon. Feasting on delicious food. And for you too, can, that can be a moment where you are each bite rem, being reminded, God wants me to be a different kind of glutton. A gospel glutton. God wants me to internalize what he has said about Jesus and to do that daily And this feast that I'm enjoying with my family, that reminds me of the feast I have every Sunday with the family of God. I need it because I'm supposed to be a witness. That's my very purpose. That's what I'm supposed to be doing this entire life until the 
second coming of Christ and the, the judgment falls. And I, I don't. I don't think I need to tell you this, but maybe you need the reminder. Everyone is a witness. I don't mean just Christians witnessing to Jesus. Every person who ever lived is a witness of some sort. I mean, don't get me started on my boys. I will witness to you about their great athletic feats. I mean, it's that time of the year. I'm about to start witnessing about my girls. Dance recital is coming. And I could spend the rest of our time talking about what a godly wife I have. Her godliness, her gentleness. How holy she is. She is. The Proverbs 31 woman. And witnessing about her and. My boys and my girls is sweet. I mean, and you know this, right? It's, it's sweet to witness if you're a proud parent or if you're a, a doting grandparent. That is a sweet thing. But beloved, isn't it sweeter to witness about Jesus? Shouldn't it be sweeter to witness about the Lord Jesus? I want to persuade you of this. I'm wondering if some of you are not persuaded yet of this. Children, listen to me. Let me witness to you. There is a reason maybe that Americans celebrate Thanksgiving. Let me tell you the reason why we celebrate Thanksgiving. It's because Christians understand we would have nothing good to enjoy in this world. We would only receive what we deserve, which is Hell forever if it weren't for God sending his son. That is the basis for God being good and showing even common graces of food and family to anyone. That's why we're going to celebrate this Thanksgiving. Children, I I want you to hear me. The reason why we celebrate Christmas, the reason why we believe that it is wonder filled. The reason why. This church never even for a millisecond considered not gathering on Sunday because it's Christmas. The reason for that is because Jesus Christ is our hope. He's glorious. He loves us. The reason why we witness to him and why it's so sweet to us is because of who he is. Revelation chapter five tells us he is our lion king. Uh, forget this, the, the, the silly cartoon. Jesus is the one who is the roaring lion and the king of the whole world. But he doesn't just say that he is some mighty ruler. It tells us how he got his rule. It was by being crucified on a cross. He is a slain lamb. He is a loving lamb. Whenever he died on the cross, he was dying in the place of others. It's so sweet. To witness to Jesus because of who we know that he is. He is worthy, worthy, worthy. Not just of our trust, but of God himself. He's the only one that God trusts to carry out his purposes. But witnessing to Jesus is sweet, not just because of who he is, but because of what he's done. This one who's presented as the lion, as the lamb, and who is worthy, we 
recognizes the one who was slain and by his blood he ransomed, he bought, he saved a people from for God from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. And not only that, he's made us into a kingdom of priests. He's not just freed us from our slavery. He's not just freed us from hell to go on and live however we wanted without him. He has brought us into his kingdom and he's made us those who serve before God. That's a time to amen. I mean, I shouldn't be the only one up here thinking this is sweet. But I'm witnessing this to you. Because John tasted the scroll and it was sweet to his mouth. And if you witness and you know this, if whenever you have witnessed to Jesus, it is sweet. The call to witness to him is a sweet call and the taste of actually witnessing. It is sweet and it's sweet for everyone who truly knows him. But it also is bitter. For everyone who truly does it. So point number two, witnessing is not just sweet, it will be sour. It will be sour. Verse 9 says it became bitter. Witnessing is, is kind of like eating an entire pecan chocolate pie on Thanksgiving and just being delighted by every last bite. Until you barely make it to the toilet. <laughs> and diarrhea. <laughs> Look, I don't know if you don't like that, that image, but it's the one there in the scriptures. It turns the stomach bitter. And if you don't like that crass image, let me give you another. This week. Well, you're wondering what I'm going to say happened this week. Let me tell you what happened this week. I asked a trusted group of beloved brothers a question. I asked them if they had a spare space heater because I was intending to work out in my gym during the freezing winters of Graham, Texas. And let me tell you what I heard from them. Nothing. I heard nothing from them until one brave soul asked the group, not just me, asked the group, well, if you need a heater for exercise, you're doing it wrong. You ever think of exercising a little bit harder? And then everyone had something to say. Why would I publicize my humiliation? Why wasn't that text thread enough for me? I'll tell you why. First of all, it's to shame that brother who started that. <laughs> and all the mean men who joined in. But also, I want to tell you that there is a thought that witnessing is only sweet. And that witnessing is never sour. And that if churches really do it, well, they'll be doing all kinds of baptisms all the time. 
There's a thought that if you're not seeing a bunch of people coming to faith, you're doing it wrong. And I want to tell you in light of that story that only total jerks think that way. (laughs) Witnessing will be sour, sour. Because while they are witnessing, they're doing it while the sixth trumpet is sounding. And we were told in chapter 9, at the end there, chapter 9, look again. What happens when the people who don't love the Lord hear the trumpets and when they hear our, our witnessing, they still won't turn. They still won't turn to the Lord. Witness like there's no tomorrow. And pray for salvations to happen. Hope for salvations to happen. But rejection is the thing that's not a hope. That's the thing that's a promise. It's bitter. You will be rejected. Now, you know, when Moses was witnessing to Korah, he surely got those glazed over looks that we get. He got the rolled eyes that we get whenever we share the gospel with people who think they've heard it, don't know why you're telling them, don't care about what you're saying. And Elijah, I mean, being called legalistic or holier than thou was that that was the least of his problems. And of course, Jesus who we're told at the beginning of Revelation is the faithful witness. He went to his own and they did not receive him. And I want this to encourage you, church. You're not doing it wrong. Just because your loved one changes nothing after you warn them. If you're faithfully witnessing It's not just about getting the phrasing just right or or capitalizing on just the right time for them to respond to the gospel. And you've got to figure all this out. No, we are promised witnessing will be sour. So be encouraged even when you are rejected. It is promised. And do not let fear of rejection. It cannot be the reason why you do not witness. Because it's promised. Waiting till tomorrow to witness is not the, the, the right response to the kind of, well, it's going to be sour. Why bother at all? And the reason why is because witnessing is essential. That's point number three. Witnessing is essential. We have to do it. What I mean in chapter 11, verses 1 through 6 there, it says that it is the very essence of being the church, of knowing God. It is to witness. Let me show this to you. Verse 3 of chapter 11. God there grants authority to witness. And later it says to prophesy. What he's saying here is he's giving to these two witnesses the same thing he said that John must do. John himself as the apostle must do this in writing the rest of Revelation. And then he turns on and says to these two witnesses that they must do it as well. And it is the church. 
Who are the two witnesses? Because it says in verse one, it's the people who worship in God's temple. That's the church. They are the ones who have authority. They have the responsibility to witness and they're to do so for twelve hundred and sixty days. You can calculate that as forty two months the way it is elsewhere in Revelation or three and a half years the way it is elsewhere in Revelation. And Revelation interprets this for us. In Revelation, that time period is the time from when Christ ascended until he returns. But here, he doesn't talk about months. Here, he's not talking about years. He's talking about days. I wonder if he's doing that to get at this day, today, no tomorrow, every day. Every one of the days within those months and years. Now's the time for the church to witness. I want you to hang with me as I try to quickly move through an explanation of these two witnesses. In case you're still tainted by that cursed series left behind and all those silly movies. Flannel graphs. Hang with me. These two witnesses aren't two super Christians in the end times. That's not who it is. It's the whole church right now because they're not just called two witnesses. They're also, notice, called in verse 4, two olive trees. And we understand what Revelation is teaching because of the Bible. And the two olive trees have shown up before, and that was in the book of Zechariah, where they were a priest and a royal ruler. That's who the two olive trees are. A priest and a king. And Revelation 5 says, Jesus has made us a kingdom and priests. It's everyone who knows him. So, witnessing is essential Because Redeemer Church is an embassy of heaven in Graham. We are the kingdom, or we are the kings who are ruling on behalf of Jesus and the priests who are serving and representatives of Jesus, just like every other local, faithful local church is. It is essential that we witness because of that. But there's another reason it's essential that we as a church understand this is us. It's not talking about two people who aren't us. Because 11 verse 4 doesn't just call them the olive trees. It calls them the lampstands. And the book of Revelation has told us that lampstands in chapter 1 were churches. You get it? Revelation tells us what this means. It's telling us witnessing is essential because Redeemer Church is to be, by its very essence, a beam of light in this dark part of the world that is grand. But witnessing is also essential because Redeemer Church is empowered. That's what it says in verses 5 and 6. There is this power that goes to these two witnesses whenever they're described to be like Elijah and like Moses. As those who have power to send out fire from heaven. And judgment. That's what Elijah did. 
who have power like Moses to shut up the rains. Elijah did this too, but also to make the the waters bitter. We are empowered to do that. And it says that the reason why God's enemies will be killed, it says in verses 5 and 6, is because they didn't listen to the witness. See that? Well, soccer's over and basketball season is here. And something I love about basketball, I don't know basketball very well, but what I love about it is that the crowd is always really helping, you know, our boys. Whenever they say five, four, three, two, one, you better hope. Mr. Frenfrock has that ball in his hands. You want him to be shooting there. And that's what the crowd is telling him. And what God is telling us is what we are to do when the trumpets are sounding. The trumpets are warning God's enemies that hell is coming. Each one of those trumpets is counting down the time. And what we're hearing when we hear the trumpets is five, four, three, two, one. You better take your shot. The countdown is almost up. And and from this, especially verses five and six, but the whole passage, you need to understand what witnessing is. Witnessing is not just telling people about Jesus. It is also telling people what the trumpets mean. Witnessing means telling people about judgment. Judgment. Churches aren't witnessing if we're not talking about sin, if we're not talking about repentance, or if we're not talking about hell. You are not evangelizing. I am not evangelizing if we are not talking about judgments. That's what the church is to be doing while the judgments of the trumpets are warning about the judgment to come. And you need to understand this is not what God is calling missionaries to do. This is not what God is calling pastors to do. It's not what he's calling professional Christians to do. It is for every Christian in the context of the local church. So let me encourage you to do this because it's essential to who you are. If you are a Christian. You are part of a church to do this work. So even I want to challenge you, Christian, specifically this holiday season to at least tell one person about Jesus, but also tell them about judgment. And involve the church with it. You know, share with your brothers and sisters, will you pray for me? Share the name of the person. Say, will you pray with me for this? Do you have any thoughts on how I can turn the conversation and talk about how it went and pray that God would, would use it to save them and not just to secure their judgment? And beloved, I'm really challenging each one of us, at least one person this holiday season to tell someone, one person even, about Jesus and judgment. And if you get to December 15th, maybe we stop just pray, we don't just pray, we start fasting together to do it. Here is another point where you can say, Amen. 
And I know it's fearful, but it's essential. And we should do it because we're protected by God when we do it. Or we're protected by God to do it. That's what that whole business at the beginning of chapter 11 is about. The, now we get a picture that, you know, during, during the seals, God's people were sealed. They were counted and then they were sealed, secured and sa- made safe from all of the trumpet judgments. But here we're told we're measured in verse 1. The temple of God, those who worship there are measured. They're counted. God's eyes are on them. He's focused upon them. And, And so what he's saying is no matter how sour it gets. We are always eternally safe. We are secure spiritually. That's what that means. They, they won't be able to take what's most important from us. We are worshiping in the temple. We're counted, measured in the temple. That's not at stake, our worship of him. But what is at stake is our physicality. We're vulnerable physically. When we step out of the temple into that place of worship, into the temple courts and the court of the nations, that is a dangerous place when we witness. So witnessing is sweet. It will be sour. It is essential, but fourth, it will bring suffering. It will bring suffering. Chapter 11, verses 7 through 10, it will bring suffering. We're going to talk more about the beast who appears there in verse 7 when he actually appears later in Revelation. But let me just say, These verses are teaching us that witnessing, what you should expect about witnessing from the book of Revelation is something different than you experience at Fields of Faith. Witnessing in Revelation is like going to a Fields of Faith, but a different kind of Fields of Faith. Where not one person walks down to the front. And instead, the entire crowd guns the preacher down and guns the worship band down and then parties. What he's saying in 7 through 10 is that the sourness of witnessing can result in its limits of the suffering of even death. And it happens. John's day had happened to Antipas in, in Pergamum. It happened to Jim Elliot in Ecuador. And just a few weeks ago, it happened in Thailand to Pastor C. Who, because he was sharing the gospel. The Buddhist powers. Burned him and then hacked him up with a machete. And kill them. And notice the way that it describes in verse 10 how the unbelievers will rejoice at the murder of God's witnesses. Rejoicing over this because their witness, the witness of the church is torment to the unbelievers. And that that has to just persuade us that we're not witnessing like this. If all we're doing is inviting someone to an event at the Christmas stroll, 
Sometimes we're, we're tempted to think that we're witnessing just because we, we will start to mention God every once in a while in our conversations or, or we're offering, we're satisfied that we're doing this witnessing when we're offering to pray for someone who's going through something difficult physically. No, that's not the kind of witness that torments unbelievers. And, and, and witnessing that torments unbelievers. They're just sick of this. I'm so ready for the church to die. I hate listening to this. I'll rejoice and we'll exchange presents like it's Christmas whenever they finally just shut up. It's not because the church was rude to them. I'm not saying that witnesses should be jerks. That's not what the torment is. But witnesses are clear. They tell it like it is. We have to come up to the people who do not know Jesus in a saving way and tell them you are not good enough to be God. You keep running your life like you're God and you're denying the real God. You're not good enough to be to play that role. And let me tell you something else. You're not good enough for God to accept you into his home. You're just not good enough. And let me tell you, let me tell you something else. The only thing that can make you good enough is nothing short of God killing a son. And if you won't do it, if you won't trust in the Lord Jesus, if you won't surrender to him and live for him, you will be cast rightly into eternal punishment. And that message torments the proud sinner. Verse 10, and the celebration here is meant to make the church understand you are supposed to be witnesses. It may get you killed, but you need to understand that hell will be deserved. Not just because these people reject God, but also look, look at how they respond. They will not even honor God's martyrs. This is how guilty they are. When someone becomes so characterized by a certain quality, I want to give you an idea here. Someone can become so characterized by one quality in their life that that quality almost becomes a synonym for them. I didn't have time to think of a bunch of examples, but let let me just give you one. Thanksgiving, Turkey Day. Right, We know that when we say Turkey Day, we're talking about Thanksgiving. Or football fan, meathead. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> Thank you, sweet. This is probably a good moment where you didn't respond the way that I wanted you to, and that was a good thing. Because this actually is not that funny, the synonym for witness. The synonym for witness. In the Greek, it's the word martyr. But that's really telling. Witnesses witness like there is no tomorrow. They witness to the very end. And they accept suffering. And they believe death is worth it. So that to call someone a witness, to call the church a witness, is to call them a martyr. They're totally ready. And some of them will end like that. I wonder if you're here and you're not devoted to the Lord Jesus and this has been potentially torment for you. 
I wonder if you can, with the help of God, hear how God himself is describing what is natural to everyone who does not devote their life to Jesus. They're the kind of people who in verse 10, it is the greatest day of the year when they don't have to listen to the gospel anymore. I wonder if you're able to hear that and understand just how lost you are. And I want to point that out because I want you to be amazed that God sends his children to be martyred for you. He gives up his children and will even allow them to to suffer at your hands. Why would he do that? There's another holiday passage that you may be familiar with. It's John 1. And it makes this promise to you right now, to everyone who receives the Lord Jesus as their only hope for salvation, who believes that his death on the cross is what you deserved, but he took, who believes that his resurrection is enough to give you forgiveness for all of your sins and to give you a new life. For everyone who believes in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. Jesus uses witness to turn people who delight in the destruction of God's children into God's children. And that can happen for you right now if you turn from your rebellion and love the Lord Jesus. Church, we may not die here in Graham for being faithful witnesses. But we will experience loss if we are faithful witnesses. And we will experience rejection if we are actually doing this. And that fear of that, that rejection should not delay us one bit. Because when it says in chapter 11, verse 7, when their testimony was fulfilled. That's making a connection to the martyrs and what was said in chapter 6, verse 9. Where they say, how long, O Lord, will you vindicate us and save us and and judge your enemies? And he says, not until the last martyr dies. We're willing even to die because it's beyond that last death that we get what we're really living for. And that's the last point. Witnessing will end in salvation. Beloved, listen just for a few more minutes. Verse 11. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered the witnesses and they stood up on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies watched them. No matter. How small the faithful church gets. No matter how many witnesses are silenced in death, it will only be a short time. That's why what we're used to seeing the three and a half years now here is three and a half days. Also to remind us of the three days of what happened to our Lord. And then God will vindicate 
He will answer. We are almost home, beloved. We are almost home. And this is to show us that we have been saved for the purpose of following our Savior. He was rejected. He was killed. He was mocked. They thought they won. And then on the third day, God raised them from the dead. And we are told, beloved, this saying is trustworthy. If we die with him, then we will live with him. If we endure suffering and rejection like him, then we're going to reign with him. But if we deny him and refuse to witness to him, he is going to deny us. So Redeemer Church, this is a wonderful season for us to follow him. And to faithfully witness to the Lord Jesus. Even if, I mean that, even if God allows this season for every one of our invitations to be rejected, every one of our loved ones to disown us, if, if after this season of faithful witness, we suffer financial hardship or relational loss or physical loss, that will never be a sign that God himself has rejected us. Because what this passage tells us is the sourness of our rejection just foreshadows our resurrection. It means our salvation is coming. And then now is the time to witness. To be rejected by the world, but to be received by God. Get tomorrow out of our vocabulary. We only have now. So whose acceptance are you and I in Redeemer Church going to live for and even die for? Oh God, we pray that you would make us a people who witnesses like there's no tomorrow. Who experiences real sweetness. Who endures terrible bitterness. With the confidence that we will be saved in the end. We pray that we would do this. We hope that others will be saved. But that's not why we will do it. We will do it because you call us to. And you're worthy of it. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen.